everybody or good afternoon i never know what to say now that we're at noon good good noon hour to all our folks watching SACPA acknowledges that this event takes place on the lands of the Blackfoot people and Métis nations of Alberta Region 3. And we pay respect to the past, present and future cultural heritage, beliefs and relationship to the land. And I just realized that I closed off my moderator script. <laughs> We're just off to a fine start. Um, here's Maria Fitzpatrick joining us today. Thank you so much, Maria, for joining us. Uh, Maria's going to talk about the municipal elections 2021 and what will determine the outcome. Maria was born and raised in St. John's, Newfoundland. She attended Memorial University of Newfoundland studying education and physical education and taught with the Catholic School Board. She attended St. Francis Xavier University, graduating with a diploma in trainer trainer. Maria worked with, both with the federal government and the territorial government, working in the field of corrections and recreation supervi supervisor, teaching and education coordinator, a parole officer, both in the institution and the community, finishing that career working at national headquarters in policy development and project management. Maria was elected regional vice president in the national capital region with the Union of Public Service Alliance of Canada and was a member of the board of directors and the Alliance Executive Committee of that union, PSAC. Maria served as a member of the board of directors in United Way of Ottawa as well. Um, returning to Alberta in 2012, Maria continued her career in corrections, retiring in 2015, and was elected as NDP MLA for Lethbridge East, serving her constituency and Alberta, and Alberta from 2015 to 2019. During that tenure, she chaired the Standing Committee on Privileges and Election, was a member of the Standing Committee on Alberta's Economic Future and was appointed to the Ministerial Panel of Child Intervention from 2017 to 2019, speaking out in the legislature about her own personal experience with domestic violence in support of Bill 204. Since 2019, Maria has remained an active constituent of Lethbridge, working with various organizations, both locally and provincially. Maria, thank you so much for joining us for this hour here today, and we look forward to your talk. Thank you very much, Annalise. Uh, okay, bienvenue, and good day to each of you. And I, too, acknowledge that I'm here on the traditional territory of the Blackfoot Confederacy and the home of the Métis people, Region 3, past, present, and future. Uh, first slide, please. Uh, so sometime in June, uh, Terry Shillington called me and asked if I might be interested in doing a presentation for SACPA around the municipal election. I said yes, and my brain immediately went into overdrive. Later, I received some comments from Knud asking, uh, indicating some aspects of the election process that he felt important to discuss and which I had planned to incorporate. Of course, that also meant that perhaps I should eliminate a few things uh, so I might fit it all in in the 30-minute time frame. So this is what I have landed on, and it is um, included in my presentation. So uh, to begin with, what characteristics and commitment do I expect to see and that I feel are necessary in elected officials? The two city ballot questions, a third bridge and award system, the two provincial ballot questions, equalization and daylight savings, and for me, current and ongoing issues of homelessness and the opioid crisis. And how will a new council navigate uh, given the provincial cuts to the municipality sustainability initiative, sorry, the municipal sustainability initiative, MSI funding? I will look at the implications, impacts of the changes to election financing. This presentation will come from my uh, very personal perspectives, 
which I hope will cover all that was requested. I've tried very hard not to be partisan, and I hope you forgive me if I slip a little. Each of these areas could easily take a single session or more. So I will attempt to provide some food for thought in each area so that you as citizens will consider this when looking at every single candidate and question in this municipal election. I will start with my expectations of the characteristics that I believe are necessary. Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, next slide, please. Thank you. Um, so uh, I'll do my um, so that they can do their best job and our city and our for our city and our citizens. Display integrity in their behavior and decision making. Respect for the position they hold, the citizens they represent, their colleagues in, on council or school board, and in debate on issues. Do their homework, come to council or committee meetings prepared for debate with rationale to back their position, and be prepared to change their mind if there is a better solution put forward. Listen to their constituents and consider input from all, whether you agree with it or not. When making those decisions, look for what is positive in every opinion. I think it is crucially important to listen to all opinions, but to make decisions based on the facts and what is actually the best decision for all, not on the emotions of will this impact whether I get reelected or not. For me, these are core values which I hope to see in every candidate. Speaking from my personal point of view and experience, every item that came forward during my tenure as MLA, I reviewed and looked at from multiple perspectives. I looked at would this legislation be positive for the whole or were they there unforeseen things that might negatively impact Albertans? Although a piece of leg legislation may be specific to a specific group, for example, the Tenancies Act, which was primarily aimed to support uh, victims uh, or persons in domestic violence situations, but it actually was good for all. Some apartment manage or management companies disagreed, but even for them it was a positive as damage to their property would be minimized if the victimized party was no longer on the property. I knew this to be true firsthand. When thinking about decisions on legislation, I often thought of my days as a union representative at my locals and remembering a phrase that reflected representing all the members, and I quote, an injury to one is an injury to all. The opposite is also true. What improves a work situation or a community situation for one improves for all, even though they may not realize it. I applied this principle always, especially in contract negotiations. And an example of that would be a weekend is good for all. And it was unions fighting for weekends that extended it for all employees or all workers. These values and examples help me to keep things in perspective on a day-to-day -day basis as an MLA and as a citizen in this community. I ask that you keep these core values in mind as I continue now uh, for uh, the rest of the presentation. So uh, next slide, please. The first city referendum question is, do you support award system? So I thank my friend and professor, Lisa Lambert, for her input on Facebook about this subject and her education and experience in political science. I will quote most of what she said because that is exactly what I was thinking about on the subject. However, I had not thought about the cons of this question. I hope she will forgive me for paraphrasing some of her words, and she did tell me she would. Lisa's comments, um, our pro of wards that Lethbridge could really use is that it makes the vote easier and the forums more manageable. Lethbridge has been getting more than 30 uh, candidates for council and wading through the opinions of each of the candidates is rough on even the most intrepid at election time. 
when you can point at your representative and blame them if you don't like the outcomes or question them about why they made certain decisions while they are in office. It also helps people know who to go to with problems and tends to mean the less engaged counselors are soon noted by their constituents. Award system also keeps costs lower for candidates, so less likely candidates have a chance and you are more likely to elect people from underrepresented groups because of this and the geographic strength of that particular community. But the downside of award is that you make councils even more divisive and fight over petty matters. It can be, uh, it can lead to very minor issues, uh, getting a lot of airtime, and one area of town fighting for goodies that all areas pay for. I think Lethbridge is large enough uh, to need wards, but I would recommend they be large wards with multiple councillors. Maybe if we had three wards and two councillors from each uh, ward elected. Now, that was what Lisa had to say. Personally, I would support a ward system and like the recommendation that Lisa has made. It will be up to you to think about this and decide how you vote. And I ask you, again, to keep in mind the characteristics I noted, their impact on possible negatives for a ward system, if we were to go to a ward system. The second question, would you support a third bridge? On this question, I've thought about it and considered who would benefit from a third bridge. Would the city as a whole benefit? Because the whole city will be paying for it. What would the cost be to build it? Are there other things that are more important to the overall health of our community and its citizen? This one I leave solely to you to decide. But again, keep reflecting on those characteristics that I mentioned. Next slide, please. Now to the provincial questions, whether to remove the principle of equalization payments from uh, Canada's constitution. Having had many conversations with different people on this subject, it is clear to me that most people do not actually know what this is and what it means. What it is, is that every Canadian contributes to a pot of money through your federal taxes. The province doesn't actually send any money to Ottawa. The pot of money is divided and shared with all the provinces and territories based on a formula which was developed by the Conservative government when our current Premier was a member of the federal cabinet. He agreed to this formula. Next slide, please. Here is a link to Equalization, a brief primer, a research piece by Trevor Toome. Uh, I would suggest that uh, you should read it, and I certainly wish everybody would, uh, but I'm not going to talk too much about it because um, I don't have enough time to do that. Suffice to say, I do not expect all the voters in this province would look at this piece of research, but I wish they would before they answer this question on the ballot. I believe that it is important to do our fair share to support the whole, whether it is in our families, here in our city, our province, or our country. The second provincial question is on whether Alberta should remain on daylight savings time, summer hours, year round. During my tenure as MLA, I participated in a committee of the Economic Futures Committee, which looked at the issue of changing our clocks twice a year. About 70% of those who spoke to and emailed our committee across the province said that they wanted to stop changing the clocks. In fact, every time the clocks changed, my office was flooded with visits and phone calls asking to stop changing the time twice a year. The issue for the committee became whether we stopped on daylight savings or mountain standard time. The responses were evenly split. One of the concerns, and a legit legitimate one, was would we be out of sync with the rest of the provinces if we moved to doing this without other provinces doing it as well? I will note there are similar discussions going on in the other provinces. 
Personally, I believe it should be a consolidated decision across the country, or at the very least, with surrounding provinces and states uh, south of the border. Questions you might ask yourself, what are the consequences of remaining on daylight savings time? Or, if the current situation re remains the same, does anybody win or lose if we do this? If we uh, do so, what is the win or loss? I do have my mind made up on this question, uh, so please think about the question before you answer it on your ballot. The two current issues uh, which are uh, within both our city and province are the issues of homelessness and the opioid crisis, which I feel are really the most pressing. I believe the council is responsible to make decisions which reflect and are in the best interest of all of our citizens. Personally, I think these two issues are more important than any of the questions posed on the ballot. I would hope that the council and province are prepared to tackle these issues right away and to do so in a creative, positive way and not allow them to be divisive uh, as they have been over the last few years. I think it is a question that should be asked of all the candidates individually uh, before you make your decision of whom you will, uh, whom will receive your vote. The third part of my presentation may be the piece that will be of greatest interest to you, uh, even though I think they all are. Next slide, please. While I sat in the Alberta legislature as a representative of Lethbridge East, the NDP government brought in legislation to amend the Local Authorities Election Act via Bill 23, an act to renew local democracy in Alberta in 2018. Through the following PowerPoint, I will provide comment or just uh, on just a few of the points throughout the slides. Next slide, please. In 2018, the NDP government at the time engaged Albertans on this topic. In fact, more than 1,500 Albertans responded to a survey to update the Local Authorities Election Act. The bill was passed in 2018 and contained the following changes under campaign contributions, bans corporate and union donations so that only individual Albertans would be able to make campaign contributions in municipal elections. From the comments received, this was probably the most prevalent concern. From my perspective as a citizen, a longtime union rep and a former MLA, Corporate donations had, over a long period of time, greatly influenced the outcomes of elections, paying for advertising, funding candidates, and party campaigns. Union donations, however, did not so much, as unions must maintain a nonpartisan stance. Their stance was one about issues that affected the membership. Unions provided to their membership what was wanted on uh, specific issues and the party's stance on those issues. Unions encouraged their members to be informed and to vote. Unions supported specific parties when those parties supported the issues that supported uh, members' lives and their livelihoods. Union membership voted across the board and sometimes voted against their own best interests. Reduces campaign periods from the current four years to one year from January 1st to December 31st in the year of the election. Determines candidate spending limits by consulting with stakeholders. So consulting with Lethbridge, Edmonton or Vauxhall should result in different limits. Limits would be based partially on the size of the municipality and the school boards. These campaign finance and disclosure rules will also apply to municipal and school board candidates. Next slide. Enforcing uh, laws gives new powers to the Provincial Elections Commissioner to investigate, prosecute and enforce rules related to campaign finance and third party advertising. There was um, this was seen in action when investigations began over the UCP leadership race and then the 2019 election. 
Once the UCP came to power, they moved to stop the investigations by changing rules and by taking steps to remove the RCMP, who is now handling a criminal investigation. Next slide, please. <clears throat> Third-party advertising requires third-party advertisers to disclose any contributions they receive to promote or oppose a candidate, requires third-party advertisers to register with local jurisdictions where they intend to advertise and register if they are for or against a candidate or a particular issue. These two bullets, I believe, are essential to elections being transparent and voters seeing exactly who is supporting specific messages. Next slide, please. Improving transparency requires campaign disclosure statements from all candidates, including self-funded uh, candidates closes the financing loophole that allows candidates to raise funds uh, without disclosing their donors, requires candidates to disclose the names and addresses of those who contribute more than $50, clarifies the definition of what qualifies as an expense under disclosure rules, restricts campaign activities at voting stations. Next slide, please. Voter participation requires communities of more than 5,000 to hold advanced votes to provide more opportunities for residents to cast ballots, increases locations for voting for people who can't get to traditional polling places. In my opinion, this would make a difference in election outcomes as the influence of advertising would be more constricted and not in your face every time you turned around. There would be a better balance between candidates to be able to present their platform, opinions, and who they are. The next two bills were passed by the current UCP government. Next slide, please. Bill 29, the Local Authorities Election Amendment Act, was passed on July 23, 2020, and allows, next slide, please. Uh, people to donate up to $5,000 per candidate and support an unlimited number of candidates. For me, this is again allowing people with large or unlimited resources to determine the outcome of an election, pay for signs, pay for canvassers, etc. Um, candidates to self-contribute up to $10,000 per year to their campaign. Currently, provincially, it is $4,223. Raise $5,000 per year outside of the campaign period, up from $2,000. Donate campaign surpluses over $1,000 to charity instead of requiring municipalities and school boards to open trust uh, accounts to hold them. Next slide, please. Continue filing disclosures after election day as required. Require a chartered professional accountant review financial statements before submitting them to the municipality or school board if they received or spent more than $50,000. How many candidates, especially in a municipal election, can afford to spend $50,000 unless they are being funded through corporate entities. Third-party advertisers to participate more freely by changing advertising rules. What does this actually mean? And I have to say that uh, I did not go in and look at the regulations around this one, uh, but it is something that I need to do uh, in the future. Next slide, please. Bill 45, Local Authorities Election Amendment Act Number 2. Amendments include, next slide please, restricting the amount of money donors can contribute to third-party advertisers by setting a contribution limit of $30,000 per donor in total. Uh, the, the money just staggers me. 
allowing for Senate nominee elections and referendums to be held in conjunction with municipal elections to avoid unnecessary duplication and minimize costs. I believe this opens the door to whomever has the most money. They can dictate what is going to happen in an election and in the future. Having said this, in 2015, when I was elected, my total campaign expenditures were about $36,000 uh, and all from individual donors. And both the Conservative and Wild Rose campaigns were much more than this, yet I was elected. This was not the norm. In that election, the electorate seemed to be fed up with being ignored, taxpayer dollars being wasted, etc and a come-from-behind party with a leader with integrity and a plan for moving forward. For me, I was a candidate who worked hard to earn the votes of the constituents. I listened, I spoke up, and I re represented all of my constituents. Despite all the good that was accomplished between 2015 and 19, the NDP was not re-elected. Again, look at the money that was spent and the messages that were given and paid for during that election, and look at where we are now. I do remember a large prop that had health care guarantee that was signed publicly. Billions of tax dollars already uh, given to profitable corporation. Were they, uh, were they the ones uh, that were funding the current government? Putting money with less controls into legislation opens up an election to whomever or whatever corporation has the most money to pay for it. The public can be bombarded by ads on television, radio, social media, billboards, uh, which are in your face and influencing you and your vote. The question for the voter is whether this person is vying for this position for the good of the community or to direct business contracts, reduce corporate taxes, etc., to a specific group. Apart from seeing and hearing these promotions, is the public being told what they want to hear, or are they being told the truth? Hence, the importance of being an informed and conscientious voter. How municipal, uh, municipal and provincial and federal jurisdictions overlap and I'm going to go through this fairly quickly because my time is getting short. Canada is a parliamentary democracy based on the British form of government. Three levels, um, uh, federal, provincial, and municipal. Each level sets certain types of laws and responsible for certain types of issues. Federal government. Parliament comprised of three parts, the House of Commons, the Senate, and Her Majesty, represented by the Governor-General. Members of Parliament, called MPs, are represented from ridings across Canada and who sit in the House of Commons. The House of Parliament is the only constitutionally authorized body to introduce legislation concerned with the raising or spending of funds. Next slide, please. For example, the House uh, uh, makes and approves laws concerning matters such as Immigration, Canada Pension Plan, Employment Insurance Benefits, and Old Age Security, and other areas that they are solely responsible for, criminal law, Aboriginal issues, income taxes, and regulations affecting industries that are national or international. If you have a question or concern, that's a federal issue. Uh, go see your member of parliament. Provincial government, uh, and I'll kind of skip the overall on that. Next slide, please. Some of the areas of law that provinces are responsible for include family law, health law, labor standards, education, social services, and housing. So the provincial government has enacted the Municipal Governance Act which gives direction and boundaries to municipalities. Within that act, funding is provided to municipalities under the MSI funding to support municipalities to function. The funding was reduced drastically by the current government by about 25%, which resulted in council having uh, KMPG do an audit of services and spending and um, 
so that the council could still function. A number of jobs and some services were lost or dramatically curtailed. Had a conversation with the mayor about this issue and he confirmed the cut and advised that the current provincial government will be reducing the MSI funding each year to eliminate it completely by 2024. The plan on introducing the future uh, local government fiscal framework grant, uh, they hope to replace it with. However, they've given absolutely no details to the municipalities about that. This should be of great concern to the new mayor and council as it will impact how the city can function. Will the provincial government dictate how the new grant they are proposing will be utilized by municipalities? Will there and should there be a pushback by councillors or will those new councillors be beholden to a, a particular provincial government? We won't know until after the election when campaign funding, uh, we, when we'll see where campaign uh, funding comes from. Similar to the federal parliament, voters in provinces elect members and their writings from their writings to sit in the provincial uh, legislature. Municipal governments, next slide please, uh, are responsible for making laws concerning areas such as smoking in public places, zoning, parking bylaws and property taxes. And these uh, last 20 months uh, masking for public safety. Uh, the government is also responsible for property taxes, uh, property standards, zoning, uh, business licenses and local bylaws. If you have a question or concern about a municipal issue, you can contact any of the councillors right now. Council roles and responsibilities. Uh, and I'm going to skip through some of this and I'm going to go right to councillors. Under the MGA, councillors have the duty to consider the welfare and interests of the municipality as a whole and to bring council's attention, to council's attention, anything that would promote the welfare or interests of the municipality. Participate generally in developing and evaluating the policies programs of the municipality. Participate in council meetings and in uh, council committee meetings and meetings of other bodies that they uh, are appointed to by council. Obtain information about the operation or administration of the municipality from the chief administrator office, who officer who would be the mayor. Keep in confidence matters discussed in private at council meeting until discussed at a meeting, um, uh, public meeting um, that is held in chambers. Perform any other duty or function imposed on councillors by this or any other enactment or by the council. Uh, the mayor is the chairperson of council, consensus seeker amongst members of council, liaison with senior elected officials, ex officio member on various boards and committees, key representative with regard to ceremonial responsibilities, liaison with other levels of gov government, advi um, advice with regard to policy uh, development. Next slide, please. To learn more about elected uh, uh, officers or officials, visit the websites of the Alberta Urban, Urban Municipalities Association, AUMA, which deals with issues and services for urban municipalities or the rural municipalities of Alberta. Next slide, please. I thank you for attending this presentation and hope it has been informative and thought provoking. With the current situation in Alberta, I think we have to be vigilant, uh, forward thinking and having conversations with others about the issues. We need to inform or encourage others to become informed and most importantly, get out and vote. That message will stand for a provincial election, which is becoming more and more likely in the near future. Thank you and I look forward to your questions. Excellent. Thanks, Maria. Um, there are quite a few questions already in the queue, so I'm going to jump right in and um, start with uh, Mark Goodall. People's choice of candidate 
should remain confidential if the person so chooses. Why must their name be made public, revealing their choice if they contribute more than 50 bucks? That is such a small amount. Should this not be made a more substantial amount, like a thousand? Well, uh, we made that decision uh, when I was in government with the NDP. And uh, we did because uh, we felt there were um, perhaps some irregularities in terms of donations that were being made. I believe the amount beforehand was about 250, uh, but I think it was reduced to make sure we captured um, all that was going on. So if there were 10 people that were giving uh, $50, uh, was that coming from those 50 people or was that money being funneled to 50 people to um, make that donation? Anyway, we figured if we went to $50, you could uh, really have a look at who was supporting uh, each of those candidates. Hope that answers your question, Mark. Great. Um, I'm actually going to use my moderator privileges and jump in here because I have a question or maybe just a beef. I don't know. Um, my sense is that there seems to be an awful lot of questions on the ballot. Is it not a prerogative that you vote for the person and they therefore, if, or if elected, represent on matters and issues at hand? I can understand the ward question being on the ballot because it's around around a change, a, a whole big change. I can totally get that. That should be a ballot question. But all the other questions, aren't we electing government to actually do their job? And this is what they're all, we're electing them to. What's your thought of that, Maria? Okay, so I agree with you. And as I said, I think the two issues that we should be concerned about are uh, homelessness and the opioid crest, um, um, concern. Um, the other questions, I think, are somewhat divisive. And I think they, uh, they don't necessarily do anything to move uh, things forward. Uh, what they do is they tend to pit one side against the other, which was what happened when we did the debate on um, uh, changing the clock. And in fact, um, I would say that um, the opposition during that debate uh, or that committee, those committee hearings, made sure they had people come to those uh, hearings because it seemed like people wanted to go to daylight savings and they brought uh, people in who were opposed to going to daylight savings uh, that they wanted to stay on Mountain Standard Time uh, and made the question absolutely divisive. Uh, this question, uh, although it asks about daylight savings, is still a divisive question and um, I don't think it moves uh, the matter forward uh, by putting it on uh, a ballot question. I think there are other things that are way more important. Yeah, and just to add to that, we actually had Trevor Toom on uh, for SACPA talking about um, the... Um, equalization. Equalization. Thank you. Yeah. I'm going to post that link in the chat for folks so that they can listen. It was an excellent presentation. So I'll post that link in the chat so people can listen. Our next question comes from Laurie Schultz. Would the ward system mitigate the third, the third party and corporate funding of candidates with respect to, to who the mayor and councillor is accountable to? Um, with the uh, provincial rules uh, that have been uh, brought in through legislation with the UCP, uh, it may not, but at least the local people in that area. So let's say if it was uh, south, um, west and east were the three wards and you had two councillors in each, I think uh, the people who live in each of those areas could actually have a greater impact even if there's money coming in from uh, large corporations. But that does not help 
a provincial election or a municipal election or anything because you're being bombarded with uh, media that um, most people can't afford on their own. Our next question comes from Trevor Page. Hasn't the COVID crisis shown that health should be a federal matter and that and the leaving it as a provincial matter makes no sense? What is your position on this? Um, I, yeah, I guess it's a little bit out of the scope, but. Okay, so no, no, but I will respond to it. And thank you, Trevor, for the question. So uh, the feds provide the money and the province is supposed to um, spend that money in the best way they can. So um, having said that, I am terribly concerned about the province spending money to bring private nursing staff in uh, because we're in such a bad state right now, but we're in that bad state because this government um, um, laid off or fired uh, so many medical staff and fought with the doctors, so doctors left. We wouldn't have been in this position if the money had been spent correctly within um, uh, our health care to begin with. And um, so I guess there would be some merit, uh, Trevor, in terms of um, the federal government making uh, you know, making some, putting some controls on it. However, the Constitution does not allow that to happen. Not yet. It would take opening the Constitution to change it. Our next question comes from, oops, sorry, turn on my mic, that helps. Our next question comes from Leona Jacob. When the NDP considered abandoning the time change exercise, did they consider the health impacts circadian rhythms, chronobiological hormone regulations, etc., um, of standards, a close approx approximation of solar time versus daylight. Again, this is a provincial um, thing, but yeah, it's outside of the scope of this talk, but would you like to answer? Well, uh, I'll answer it with an example of somebody who uh, came to one of the... Um, uh, committee hearings that we had and it was somebody who took medication and um, when the clock changed it meant that uh, she actually had to change her medication by five minutes at a time so every time the clock changed she had to change it because um, you know she worked and she had to function in society but her medication had to be um, taken within a certain length of time before meals, uh, after meals, as like after she got up, those kinds of things. So when the clock changed and uh, she was getting up at a, a, a different time, an hour one way or the other, the only way she could do it was to gradually do it by five minutes. That probably impacted me more than anything anybody else had to say. And um, when asked, she said it didn't matter which way we went. We just needed to stop changing the clock so she didn't have to go through this twice a year. Um, I agree with you, uh, Leona, in terms of um, it's, it's uh, the, the whole solar issue. Um, you know, we don't actually get an extra hour of daylight because the number of hours of daylight depends on what day of the year it is. Um, and when we change the clock, the number of hours of daylight is the same as it was the day before. It just, you just, you get up at a different time, or maybe you don't. It takes me forever to adjust my, um, my biological clock uh, to, if the sun is shining in my bedroom window, then I'm awake. So, um, yes, it has a huge impact um, with people who are on uh, long-term necessary medications. Okay, our next question comes from Knut Peterson. The argument can be made that candidates do not have any control over PAC money, but reality may be different. What are your thoughts? 
Um, I don't think the candidates, um, I think the candidates make a choice. If they're receiving um, PAC money, then uh, they know what that PAC is about and what they're looking for. My concern is that if you're accepting money from a PAC, is there an understanding that you're going to do what they need you to do? instead of being a councillor who looks at every issue and does what is best for the citizens and the community. Right. Um, we're, um, I'm hoping some folks will go in there and ask some more questions. I have posted up Trevor Toombs' uh, link. Um, Maria, I have a question for you. Um, it seems every every time there is a, a local election, we get candidates um, who um, who don't necessarily fully understand the role to which they're <laughs> applying. Um, what is it exactly that a a local candidate, not a municipal, like a municipal candidate, not not federal, not because those are very different. What are the, what is their actual role? Is there a definition? Um, well, there is. If you look at, um, you could actually Google uh, the roles for different uh, governments, and it does um, outline what should be uh, the role for the councillor. But the Municipal Government uh, Act can impose some things on the uh, municipality. The municipality can also direct what some of those roles are. So um, I think there's an overall um, um, kind of list of roles, as I uh, pointed out when I was going through what's expected of a councillor. But I don't believe that um, all councillors have kind of followed that direction. They've kind of done whatever they want. and. That's sad because if you're a counselor, you should be fully engaged and uh, you should uh, really look at what needs to be done and divide those activities between all of the counselors so that there's some e equal work, but you bring back the information to the whole council. So uh, there's committees, there's lots of committees and counselors get assigned by the mayor to those committees and he the mayor is an ex officio member of every one of those committees and um, at those committees with uh, you make certain decisions that come back to council not everybody participated or participated fully in that if you go back and you look at the councils over at least the last five or six councils um, so I Again, it would. I think it would be a good idea that if anybody is going to apply for um, uh, or put their name in for nomination, that maybe uh, part of their responsibility is finding out what they need to do and be able to share that. If somebody asks, okay, what do you plan on doing? And, you know, lots of people say, oh, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I'm going to do this. Well, you can't just do those things. You have to work as a group, as a team, uh, to make those things happen. And that may be on the list, but it may not be one of the number one or two or three priorities that the city has to look at. And certainly looking at COVID over the last two years, the city, that wasn't on the city's agenda. But it was on the city's agenda because they had to take some action. Uh, so um, people uh, who put their names forward really should know what they're supposed to do before they get into it. Uh, if you're a serious candidate, and I don't know that all the candidates are necessarily serious. I think some people often put their names forward and think it's an opportunity. They may, you know, their buddies may vote for them and they may get in. But if you're going to be a candidate, I think that you need to be serious. And that's why I suggested 
that you should be asking individual candidates, not when they're around anybody else, but ask them directly, you know, how they feel about specific issues and what their platform, what where they're coming from, what they want to do as a city councillor. Okay. I hope that answers that question. Thank you. Our next question comes from Mark Goodall. Is there one source where we can see all the candidates' platforms? Reading platforms one by one over the last weeks in the Herald, for instance, is difficult to compare. It makes it difficult to compare each platform. Okay, so I don't know that I want to sit at a forum where 30 people are there and they have a minute and a half to tell you where they're coming from. Uh, and because of that, I decided that I would start interviewing candidates on my Maria's Musing show uh, so I could have a conversation. And I did ask some specific questions, but I gave every candidate an opportunity to talk about where they're coming from, who they are as a person, uh, what have they done in the past, so that you could have a, a better idea of if you're voting for that person, what you can expect from them. Um, and I mean, I couldn't interview everybody because there was a whole lot of people who put their names forward on the last day. But some people got hold of me and asked if I would do the interview with them. And uh, I'm working with uh, Jesse at uh, Jess FM. Uh, to try to fit as many of those people in as I can. But I've already interviewed 10 or 12 candidates, and um, I'll be doing some more next week. Okay. So, soon. Lori Schultz is our next question. In addition to homelessness and the opioid crisis, what are the other issues you would like to see addressed? Uh, oh, my goodness. Um, okay, potholes come to mind. But it's it's not a priority. Um, I think we have an aging infrastructure, and I'm pretty sure the city has a plan uh, to try to address it. But I think uh, that plan may need to be updated because uh, lots of the um, pipes that run under our streets are 70 or 80 or 90 years old, and um, the city just hasn't had the money uh, to go and um, have a really focused um, plan to address those because they keep addressing, oh, a pipe burst. And I know because we had a sinkhole uh, in my next door neighbor's uh, sidewalk uh, a couple of years ago. And even though there was a plan to do the whole street, they had to come in and do a temporary fix and that slows down the whole plan. So uh, to me, that's an issue. Um, I would certainly, these are things that I'd like. I'd like to see bike paths that go all over the city and that if somebody decided they wanted to walk uh, from their home to downtown, there is, uh, or a bike, I'm sorry, they can bike from their home to downtown. Uh, there are several bike paths that stop kind of in the middle of nowhere and I'd like to see those finished. Um, I would like to have uh, some pretty serious discussion about uh, infill um, in the core area of the city and even in the, uh, the suburbs because uh, we can't continue to sprawl. Um, it's just not healthy or manageable uh, for a city council. And, you know, people keep complaining about their taxes, but they expect, uh, you know, a gold-plated uh, service. And uh, I think the city can give us really good service, uh, but we need to help out. Um, I, yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, Terry Shillington, has any research been done on the third bridge, on the third bridge, bridge issue, i.e., yes. cost costs analysis and benefits? There was, and it was done a few years ago, uh, probably around 2015. I don't know if it has been updated because those uh, prices will change, 
And so I can't, I certainly can't give you a number, Terry, but I know that they did have, they did a study. And in fact, I know they have uh, a place on both sides of the river where that bridge would go across. Um, again, is that the best place for it to go across or has that changed or, but they did do a study and they do have figures on it. Okay, um, next question comes from Colleen Quintel. Given the number running, should the rules change regarding the number of sponsors they must have or even have a monetary amount required to pay to be paid to show commitment to being a candidate? Um, I think that would be probably a good idea, except that I would certainly like to see council seats open to anybody in the city who wants to uh, run as a candidate. But I do think it's important for them to know exactly what's required of them as a councillor, should they be elected. Uh, I would hate to see people um, show up in a seat and never expecting to get there and uh, then be bombarded with uh, a learning curve that's like climbing Mount Everest. Hmm. So I think anybody who uh, wants to put their name forward uh, should really do some research before they do that so they know what they're getting into. Okay, our next question, Knut Peterson. One of the most important parts of mayor is arguably making council function, wor function work together in a collaborative fashion but not necessarily agree on everything. What are your thoughts? I absolutely agree with you, Knut. Um, and uh, that is not an easy job. So when you're voting for a mayor, you really need to think about who is the person who can do that. And the mayor, um, the mayor certainly um, uh, helps the direction of council, but the mayor has one vote. Everybody has one vote, but you need to be able to have discussions. And as I said, you need to be respectful. You need to listen. If you have a point of view, then you need to have the rationale to back it up. And you need to listen and be prepared to change your mind if somebody has a better idea. And I think that uh, the mayor is in a position to uh, support that um, kind of uh, collaborative behavior. It is up to the councillors to do it. So think about that when you're voting for councillors. Are you going to get somebody who's uh, just be oppositional for the sake of being oppositional? Or do they have a valid reason? And there's lots of issues that people would have different uh, opinions on. Be prepared, do your homework, provide your rationale, and listen to what other people say. And the mayor would have to guide that. Okay. Our next question comes from uh, Cheryl Bradley. Do you think municipalities in Alberta who raise money primarily through property taxes generally have access to sufficient funds to exercise their mandate compared to the province? I don't think so. Great. Nice and short. Uh, Knut Peterson, just to clarify, political action committees like PAC spend money as they see fit. Ideally, candidates do not receive money from PACs. Thoughts? Well, they may not receive money, but they receive um, advertising. They receive um, encouragement from uh, those PAC entities uh, to um, people who will uh, vote for that candidate. Um, and that candidate becomes beholden. Uh, that should not be happen happening in any election. Yulath, Polly 3210 the job description of councillors is Section 153 of the Municipal Government Act. Section 154 is the job description for mayor. Okay, we've been told by Yulath, Polly 3210 
And Thank you. Okay. Buff Mandel, with concerns of homelessness, how can the city reduce taxes on fixing income homeowners? Is this a municipal or a provincial issue? Taxing people out of their homes results in homelessness. Um, I think that um, the city is kind of between a rock and a hard place. First of all, I don't think they should be taxing somebody out of their homes. Uh, but I think that uh, with provincial monies being cut to the cities, to the municipalities, uh, how does the municipality continue to run? I think perhaps uh, a view to uh, looking at the priorities and necessities of the city needs to be done. Um, uh, we do have the highest taxes in the province. Uh, so that's certainly a concern, but that question is a concern for everybody right across uh, the province. And I think uh, certainly the provincial government uh, needs to consider the funding that they should be sharing with the city because that comes from our tax dollars as well. Um, we get money from the feds to support things like homelessness. We get money from the feds to support uh, lots of different programs. And we do get some direct funding uh, from the feds uh, for transportation issues, for health issues. And in fact, uh, the province went screaming to the feds this week uh, for help with COVID. Perhaps they should have done that a while ago. Perhaps they should have handled it differently. Um, but okay. we need, yeah, we need more money from the province. Um, I am, I, I need to apologize to Leona Jacobs. I, I missed her question and, um, I will ask it now. And my apologies to Leona. Do you think the ward system would help or hinder emergence, the emergence of partisan politics at the local level? Um, I think it would help, um, and in fact, that's why I'll support the ward system question on my uh, ballot on my um, on my ballot, uh, because uh, I would really like to know that somebody who's representing the issues of where I live uh, knows those issues because they live here and they represent here. Um, I don't know that somebody who lives, um, in Paradise Canyon knows what the issues are in Uplands. Yeah. Uh, so I would really like to see the ward system. Um, would it be, it could certainly be influenced by um, uh, money coming in, but at least I'd know who that counselor was and I'd be having my say about uh, what they were doing. Excellent. Our last question comes from Buff Mundo. How many council meetings can a councillor miss before being kicked off council? Um, I don't know that there is a number, but there may be in that um, uh, that legislation that was quoted. Uh, it may have a number, but I don't remember seeing a number. Uh, personally, as a um, a constituent of Lethbridge, if somebody is missing meetings, I'm complaining about it loudly. Thank you very much, Maria, for today's talk. Um, and before we wrap up the session today, do you have a take home message for our viewers? I do. And that message is be informed and get out and vote. And when you're voting for a candidate, know exactly what they stand for and what they've committed to. But get out and vote. And thanks very much for having me. Lovely. Thank you, Maria. And by the way, our ULEF Polly 3210 has answered Bev's question. So read it here. I'll read it out just for everybody. Section 174 of the Municipality Act. A councillor is disqualified if the councillor is absent for all regular council meetings held during any period of eight 
consecutive weeks, starting with the date that their first meeting is missed. So there you have it, right out of the Municipality Act. Thank you. Yeah. Um, in observance of National Day of Truth and Reconciliation on Thursday, September 30th, SACPAS session next week will be held on Wednesday at noon. So I hope you'll join us Wednesday at noon. Oh, I'm muted for all of that. I was muted. So I just read out the ULEF Poly 3210 question. Uh, answer, so a counselor is disqualified as the counselor is absent from all regular counseling meetings, council, council meetings held during any period of the eight consecutive weeks, starting with the date that the first meeting is missed. So thank you, ULEF Poly 3210 for pointing us to the Municipality Act. Um, and in observance of National Day of Truth and Reconciliation on Thursday, September 30th, SACPAS session next week will be held on Wednesday, September 29th at noon. Um, we will have Dr. Melanie Thomas uh, with us join, who will have uh, the 2021 Canadian federal election did the results justify calling calling the election? So we hope that you join us on Wednesday at noon next week. And thank you so much, Maria. Uh, thank you from Laurie Schultz, from Knut Peterson. Um, and a lot of thank yous in the queue. And also on behalf of SECPA, thank you very much. It was my pleasure.